0: My name is Helen Nguyen. I am the chef and owner of um, Saigon Social, a Vietnamese restaurant in the Lower East Side here in New York.
1: Welcome to The Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. Thank you for coming on, Helen. I know you're really busy. What does it mean to be Vietnamese to you
0: nowadays? I think it's really important to that we that we retain and retain and share our culture and our history. I and I when I say that I know that you know everyone's journey is very different from from one another, but you know, just understanding where your family comes from, understanding the history, understanding you know, just the essence and the foundation of who you are as a person, I think is, you know, is, is very important. Um, so for me, it's just, you know, I think it's, it's not just, you know, a, a phase, it's, it's like an ongoing journey, a lifelong journey of just really understanding, you know, uh, you know, um, your roots.
1: And, you know, your Vietnamese is, is very impressive. And, you know, I wonder this connection to our, our language you know for me too I, I just love the language so much but you know perhaps somehow in the journey of learning our language and getting proficient at it we've somehow managed to to grow into these personalities that love vietnam so much cuz it's evident when we go to your restaurant saigon social that it shows up in every aspect obviously the food the music the decor um and it's almost impossible if you kind of don't have that link to the language
0: right i think it's a beautiful language i mean i think i was very i was very enamored when i first um started, start first started understanding just very basic vocabulary and i think that when you really submerge yourself um you know in a song and listen to the lyrics which i which you know is what i did and and kind of like my very first teacher um in the language it was just very beautiful but also very intriguing because the way that lyrics are written and the way that the language is spoken in music is very far off from you know just like the the the, the regular day-to-day tongue because nobody speaks to each other that way you know what i mean um so i thought it was very beautiful you know and and it always you know i always wondered you know what like why it was that way because when you're younger you don't really have that that foresight or that depth of understanding as to you know like okay this is like the literature form and this is the layman's term right um but then as my vocabulary expanded i was like wow these these songs are beautiful. There's just so much depth and passion and and, you know, the, the culture kind of lies in that in itself.
1: Yeah. And so many of us, uh, you know, growing up without that sort of that link to the language, we we, I mean, there there was a time where I would listen to music, Vietnamese music, and it was just kind of repelling almost. It was kind of cringy because, you know, it was just to me at the time growing up, not understanding fully what the 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 words meant. And
0: Especially with, when you're listening to Kailung. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just
1: really difficult to to process, right? The sounds, right? Especially right. Kailung, yeah. Mm-hmm. But as as you get older, there's there's so much beauty in in all of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, my mom in the '80s had a very strong accent, which was really hard to uh-huh. understand for others. I mean, she's my my mom is from Yang, and my dad is from Yajiang, so Jiang has you know a a mild central accent but guinyang is very close to like you know and and they like the tonality is very um it almost sounds very harsh because the pitch is very high the tones can also be very deep and um there's different usage in in like certain like verbs and conjugation if you will um so I it was very confusing because when you when you're a kid you didn't realize that there was so many different dialects yeah um, and so many different ways to to express and 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 to just to really speak
1: yeah, Guangai is very difficult to understand if you're not familiar with the words and the way it's being spoken right yeah you know before we get into all of this uh, food business um, I want to ask you what's the deal with fernet and your love for fernet and why is it (laughs) everywhere you know um it feels like it just it permeates in your your mind space when when we're there and you know we're offered it you're you're offering it and it's just everywhere
0: so um i want to say was it 2000 2007 2008 i was you know at the time i was still living in seattle I had a lot of stomach issues, um, and I always thought it was because my tolerance for very spicy and very hot foods was very high, and I thought it was just indigestion. But I was having constant stomach, you know, stomach problems. And I remember there was a few different restaurants um, that my friends own that were essentially within walking distance with each other, and um, it's where I used to host a lot of my real estate clients. and Happy hour was almost a, a daily thing. And I got to know the, you know, the, the team and the staff very well and became friends with the bartender. And he was like, you needed to try this, you know, it'll, I, I promise you, it's going to make your stomach feel better. And so then my very first introduction, um, I thought it was the most disgusting thing ever. It tasted like kutbuk. It's very herbally, it's very minty, it's very, very strong and pungent. And was not very enjoyable at all. But then within a couple of minutes, it started to alleviate my stomach pains. And I was like, wow, this actually does work. What's in it, you know. And so then from that moment on, whenever I felt like, you know, I needed, um, you know, uh, just like a remedy for for indigestion that was kind of like my go-to because you know it's a digestive and it has a lot of herbs and and spices and to me it was also an excuse he was like oh well you know um technically i'm not really drinking this is for you know venison value right <laughs> so that's kind of like you know how how it all started for me
1: well what's in it that that has been proven to to make you feel better
0: i know that there is a very high saffron content mm. not that saffron has you know extreme you know medicinal value to it but i just know that there's just a lot of you know roots roots root spices and vegetables not vegetables but you know spices and and herbs that um you know that that you do find in in in, in old medicine
1: and and is fernet its own type of alcohol or is it that a brand of like this licorice kind of tasting alcohol
0: It's both <laughs>
1: Really? So, and
0: yeah. And so to me, it's just like I, I I, also, you know, especially now when I have a restaurant, and a lot of friends are like, oh, you know, my stomach hurts or no, I can't because I feel like so stuffed and, you know, full and, and because it, it's a digestive and, and people usually take it, you know, like just a very small sip after a meal just to kind of like, you know, clear their their, cleanse their palate as well as, you know, their stomach. Um, it's something that's become a thing where it's like, oh, you have a, pro-, you know, you 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 have an um, an issue. I have a remedy, <laughs> right? <laughs> even, um, even when
1: we don't have issues, you have that remedy ready to go,
0: right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was a lot. What what did you do before you got into the food scene?
0: I was a real estate broker. Um, so at the time, it was. I think it was 15 years. I was a real. I mean, I, I'm still licensed, just not working, you know, at the capacity I was working before I moved to New York. Um, but I started real estate in 2000, 2007 when the market crashed. Mm, wow. <laughs> so there's a lot of parallels in terms of, you know, me starting the real estate career, as well as me starting my, my food and, and beverage, um, culinary career,
1: you know, for, for the, t- <laughs> for the listeners that don't know your restaurant in New York, um, it is to me like a mecca because all of my friends that I value in terms of their taste all come to see you. You know all the
0: that makes me really happy. Thank
1: yeah, you, <laughs> producer friends or chef people. They all say you know they're gonna go out to see Helen at Saigon Social, and so it's it's a thing where I wonder what do you think? How do you feel? What? Do you, where does that do you think that that comes from? There's gotta be something because there's good, a good, maybe 20, 30 Vietnamese restaurants in New York, but your name comes up continuously, uh, yeah. consistently um, that they're gonna come out to see you. And um, it's, it's just a thing.
0: You know, when I was living in Seattle, you know, as a real estate broker, obviously you, 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 your, your job is to prospect. It's, it's to network, it's to meet people. It's, you know, one of my mentors would always tell me there's two types of people in the world. There's the people that know, and then there's the people that you don't know, which group is going to be the larger group, especially when you're looking at it from a business, you know, standpoint, specifically, you know, in sales, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And the answer is the people that you don't know. So I, you know, believe it or not, was very timid when I started my real estate career. It was very difficult for me to cold call, to really be out there and break out of my comfort zone to really try to. Um, just connect with people, and through through a lot of training, a lot of you know guidance, a lot of mentorship, and just um, practicing, uh, I I improved and 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 was able to um, break out of that you know that that space of fear and discomfort to really go out there and just really meet meet people, and I think that um, when you look at it from a standpoint of, you know, I don't, I mean, even though like the core of it, it's like, yeah, this is my job. I found a lot of joy in just having genuine conversations and connecting with people because I felt that when you approach, you know, a business deal on a very like salesy and a very aggressive and pushy like tone and approach, it doesn't always work well, and it wasn't really something that resonated with like my heart and my style of of truly connecting with people. So then I think that from there, it's just, you know, over time, you you build relationships and that that, you know, the that business, you know, relationships that in turn turn to friendships and then from that, it becomes a community not just within your industry, but also within, you know, I mean, like, for example, with um, as a real estate broker, you work, you know, closely with title officers and loan officers and escrow agents and inspectors and um, contractors, builders, developers, the list goes on. And it it takes a community to make anything happen, regardless of what industry, what what your job is, right? There's always going to be like that 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 network of people that rely on each other to to make things happen, and um, I always found great joy in it. Um, when I left Seattle, it was you know I had I had gotten to the point where I built. A very you know strong network of people and community through friends and family and obviously being raised there uh, and living there for 25 years um it's an you know it's almost one of those things where it's inevitable you know you like the city is is no matter where you go it no matter how big of a metropolis it is it's still very small when you spend a majority of your life there um so when i first moved to new york i had one friend um it was a very um it was a very rough transition for me. It was something that was supposed to be temporary. It was just, you know, oh, I guess a, a one-year semi-sabbatical, if you will, just to go to culinary school, to check it off my bucket list. And then, you know, essentially move back home to Seattle after that was done. Um, and because I only knew one friend and, you know, she was, you know, she was, her schedule was very intense in that she would go to school and then from school, come home, change, and then would go straight to work. And I wouldn't see her until like, 1130 12 o'clock at night. I spent a lot of my time um, just volunteering at school just because I didn't really know what else to do. And from that point, it was just, okay, there's a there's a, an opportunity, there's an event, okay, I, I would sign up to do it Would volunteer to do it just because um, I just didn't know what else to do with my time at the moment. And I think from that, it was just um, very natural to meet people. Because one one event would you know would lead to another and one opportunity would open doors to another, and I think that when you don't really think about the end goal and you just let yourself truly uh, immerse in free fall um, the the rewards are incredibly um, or the the outcome is incredibly rewarding and very beautiful relationships are are, are born and, and, and you know nurtured from there and this is my, I'm now in my sixth year of living in New York. So imagine just like six years of just continuously talking to people and, and making genuine connections, I think, you know, has been, and, you know, and I've been very, very fortunate in, in that, you know, the community has been very welcoming and supportive. Um, and I, I really just believe that it just starts with a conversation and just pushing yourself out of your comfort zone to talk to people that you don't know. And in my case, I didn't know a lot of people here, so Every day was an opportunity to make, you know, a connection and a new friend and and be a part of, you know, community.
1: You know, at the, at the same time that I'm mind blown, I'm also I kind of I kind of see it, you know, spending time with you and the friends that we came to New York with, I could see that there's the roots of, of a shy person in you. Um, and I wondered that on the whole trip where this is a person who's so shy and it, it just you just feel like a shy person i'm not saying that you know you just seem like a very shy person and you're, you're you're relatively quiet for somebody in the restaurant space you know in my opinion but hearing you develop from one friend to what i know now about the sort of the network of you know vietnamese people across the country um, and what you've built is uh is really phenomenal
0: thank you <laughs> Thank you. What do you call that? An extroverted introvert?
1: Yeah. Um, are, are, do you consider yourself? I feel yourself like we a... take
0: so many personality tests that it's just, you know, and it, depending on the, the time of day and the mood that, you know, that you're in, you don't really know which you, you fall into. I think but we're all get, a little bit of everything.
1: Do you get tired after a, a long day of socializing or do you get more energy? Oh,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. I feel that, you know, when, when I was in real estate, I enjoyed socializing very much. So just because, um, it wasn't because my job depended on it, it was because I had a lot more control over my my hours over my schedule and and of course, you know that took several years and and a lot of challenges and adversities just to to get to that point, but the fact is that I did get to the point where I was able to to have a lot more control over my schedule and when you have control over your schedule um it becomes a lot more relaxing in the sense where it's like okay you know if i wanted to work today i would work today if i didn't want to work to you know today then i had the flexibility not to do so because essentially you know you're oh you're you're your own brand you're independent contractor and it wasn't a a job that you had to go in and clock in and clock out it's essentially the work that you put in the time you put in you know is a you know it's going to be a function of what you know your productivity and your success is going to be like whatever you know that means for you And now here in the restaurant, I no longer have that flexibility, at least not in the moment, because essentially it's a startup. And I think with, you know, every given startup, you know, comes a lot of sacrifice and responsibilities. And when you have a team that's relying on you and a business that's open um, majority of the week, you can't just wake up and decide, oh, you know, today I don't want to open up the restaurant or I don't want to show up or don't want to do these things just because, you now have a team that you have to support. Um, you know whose families you know depend on them, and every decision is no longer about what your yeah. you know wants and what your needs are. It's essentially going back to well, you know, when when I decided that this is what I was going to do, um, I understood that the foundational responsibilities was was there, but I think that I completely underestimated one and, and was very, you know, ill-prepared for the realization and, and just the depth of, you know, everything else that comes along with it. Because before it was like, oh, I want to learn how to cook. I want to be a professional cook. And you think that that's going to be majority of your your job and your responsibilities. But now that I look at it, it's, you know, people come in and I'm like, oh, thank you so much for a good, you know, like, we had a great time. The meal was amazing. And I was like, don't thank me, thank my team. They're the ones on the line doing the job. I, 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 it feels like I do everything but cook these days because it's now turned into management and, and, um, just making sure that, you know, every, every loophole, every, every responsibility is filled, right? Um, but yeah, so it's like you're forced to be on, right? You're forced to be on. And, I don't take that for granted. I, 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 you know, it's definitely not a complaint. It's just understanding and having like a very honest conversation with yourself, you know, as to what needs to be done to get where you, you know, like need to be. And, and just reflecting on the short-term, long-term personal, as well as, you know, professional goals that, you know, you're, you're setting for yourself. So with that being said, it's just like, yeah, you know, you have to remind yourself that you may be having the same conversation, um, every five minutes, you know, every hour for like 10, 15 hours a day, but every connection is different. Every person is different. So it's, you know, it's it, it can be taxing and exhausting, but you owe it to, you know, each customer, each interaction um, to to really be present, I guess, if you will, because, you know, just because I get tired with one conversation doesn't mean that i have to transfer that energy to the next person yeah. that i interact with right it's just not fair
1: you you know having a restaurant in new york is you know it's akin to like going out into the ocean and swimming out in the middle of nowhere and not seeing land at all uh
0: six oh years, to say the least <laughs> right
1: and and six years in and um you know you're saying it's just it's still a startup and there's probably no sign of land anywhere in terms of taking sort of a breather, a break, a real break where you can hand off responsibility to, to to another person. What keeps you going? What drives you to continue every day to grind that hard?
0: You know, it's truly the community. It's also the team. I mean, the team is ever changing, um, especially you know, just looking at our journey as you know how we started. Like the first two years was a pop up, and then it was like, okay, let's you know. I think I got the hang of this and have an understanding of how people eat here on on the East Coast, and you know, and specifically in New York. Let's open a restaurant. Um, and you know, to to have it, you know, have all of these plans kind of play out and and be executed in the midst of a pandemic just kind of throws um, a huge and never-ending curveball at yeah. every corner that you turn essentially. and I think that um, you know be because of that, there hasn't ever been like stability in terms of you know the team. so it, it's been very um, I guess you can say like the turnover rate was very high the first year or two just because you know we were on shutdown right yeah. and it was during the peak of the pandemic. but regardless if it was you know the team past, present or you know or future, I think that once you make that connection with people, and you, you know, you share that synergy and that camaraderie and that alignment, it really keeps you going. Just because you are no longer just operating at you know your level, you're operating at your is like you know absorbing like the energy and and just kind of you know the 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 zone that everyone else is in. And on the days where I feel like okay, you know, like I'm I'm a little under the weather, what whether it be you know emotionally or physically. Um, one of our team members would come in with a lot of energy and then you just kind of like absorb that from them and then you know we 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 go into the whole dance of prepping for service you know and then um and then actually going into service and then meeting the people serving them cooking them and and making sure that they have a good experience here and just thriving off of their experience and watching them take that for a very first bite or very first sip of broth and having them enjoy it, I think is incredibly gratifying. And you can't really put a monetary value to that, right? It's just, um, it's just something where, yeah, you may be having a very long day, but it's just that one moment, even though it could be like five to 10 seconds where it's just like, oh, okay, this is what it's all about. This is why we're doing what we're doing. And I think that, it's what they call where when you know that you're in the right field and doing what you love and and as cliche as it sounds when it's it feels like it's a part of your an extension of your being i don't think that it feels like work yeah and for that reason it's just like okay i'm exhausted but every morning i wake up and i'm excited you know to do it all over again regardless of what my mental physical state is just because i know that when I come in here, I see my prep team, you know, like, you know, or, or our serving team. And then just knowing that, you know, on Thursdays, you know, this regular comes in and then seeing our purveyors and our delivery people and having that, you know, continued, you know, conversations about their families and, and to be able to make that connection on a day to day really makes it um, makes it exciting and gives you that energy and that push to kind of just keep going i mean i I don't know how to explain it but it's just one of those things where it's like it just feels right you know it feels right it feels like home and and um until i wake up one morning and feel like okay i'm exhausted i I can't do this anymore i think this is you know the path that i'm going to continue on
1: but has it happened before has has that feeling kind of pervaded you and you've turned it around
0: yeah, I, I think that it, it it comes in waves, but I, I think that um, it's important to keep your mindset strong, uh, to preserve your energy and 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 be very aware um and cautious with how you spend your time. because I you know as we as we get older and as our schedules become a lot more complex and demanding, um, that's the only thing of value that we can truly control, you know. I mean, your finances can come and go, and there's been a lot of factors and functions from that. But when it comes to your energy, it's the one thing that you do have control over, right? The yeah. one thing where it's like, okay, yeah, you know, I'm not feeling so great, but what's causing it? Is it the people that I'm hanging out with? Is it the conversations that I'm having? Is it, you know, the environment that I am I'm in? And then just making sure that you position yourself and keep that peace of mind and that energy going. And I think that essentially sets the tone for, you know, everything else and the the decisions that you make just because when you're flustered and when you're angry and and you're feeling all this, you know, like negativity, it really hinders everything else that you do, right?
1: When you left culinary school, what was lined up for you in, in terms of your vision for what you wanted to accomplish?
0: In terms of alignment, I really didn't have anything lined up in that moment. It was just, okay, the goal I made for myself was to go home. Do I want to go home? I mean, the first month um, of living in New York and of, you know, of, of culinary, the culinary program, I flew home every week. Um, and it was fun being bicostal just because it's like, oh, you know, I, you know, you fly back and forth, but it, it became very exhausting became very exhausting. And, and I did it, you know, not because I wanted to be cool and, and live this by coastal life, but it was just, you know, um, I still had my real estate, you know, career. And that essentially was what was, you know, making money and, and allowing me the freedom to, to pursue, you know, this, this, this passion of mine. Um, it's something that I've always wanted to do. Um, but, you know, growing up with a single mother and a sister who is, you know, 10 years younger, she was essentially like my daughter. And I wanted to make sure that she completed her studies and had job security before I kind of went off and did what I did. And so then when I made the decision to move, um, I, you know, everything was kind of prepaid for, for a year just because I know that that was kind of the benchmark that I made for myself, right? But also understanding that, you know, when I started my, my, my culinary program and um, had an amazing opportunity to, to work at, um, at a restaurant, I was just you know, looking at the finances and I was just like, how do people survive in New York? I think that I was making eleven seventy five an hour. Wow. You know, and you're on your feet all day. It's, you know, mentally taxing. Majority of the people that I went to school with and also worked with were like 10, 15 years younger. And during that time, I couldn't bring myself to telling people what my background was and how old I was because I didn't want to get judged for it. I really wanted to learn. I really wanted to earn whatever, you know, level of advancement or, or just knowledge that, that I could truly absorb and take away with me um, on my own terms, right? Not just because, oh, you know, she's a little bit older, maybe we should be a little bit more gentle, or because this is a career change, it's completely new and foreign. So um, I didn't want that to be an excuse, right? Um, But yeah, so, you know, as I was, you know, like it was my schedule was basically, I would wake up early in the morning between five and six, school was between seven and noon. And then right when school let off, I would take the you know, the train downtown all the way uptown, start my shift at 1230 PM and then end it at one, 1 AM, sometimes 2 AM, depending on the day. And I didn't know that was considered part-time to me. Part-time was like, okay, maybe 20 hours. Right. But essentially that was like, you know, my, my schedule. And then on Friday nights, I would take the last flight out from New York to Seattle Land in Seattle, like between, you know, 1130 midnight or whatever it was. And then Saturday, Sunday was my real estate days. Crank out as much as I can meet as many people, get as much done Sunday night, take the red eye flight out from New York land, um, you know, or from Seattle to New York land in New York at between five to 630 on Monday mornings, and then go straight to school from the airport. And that was pretty much the very first year of, of me living in New York, um, and I think as I delve deeper into my culinary studies and my, my culinary journey, if you will, I was like, I really love this. I came home and I cried every single night, that first week of, of work, just because it wasn't what I imagined it to be as a cooking's supposed to be fun. I didn't realize that, you know, it was going to be so physically taxing
2: mm-hmm.
0: and, you know, so demanding on your schedule and your body. Right. Um, but towards the end of my culinary program, there was this resurgence in, in, I guess, Vietnamese dining, you know, yeah. there was new restaurants are being opened. They were, you know, all, you know, became very wildly successful and people were so receptive of it. And something just clicked inside of me. I'm like, you know, I, I, I don't know what's going on, but I want to be a part of it. Um, regardless of you know, how small my contribution is, I, I just really felt very excited, very inspired, and though I was tired, I felt that, okay, maybe this, you know, I loved real estate, I still love real estate, it's, you know, definitely like a passion of mine, and I think will forever be, you know, a part of me, but I love cooking and hospitality more, and I, and I, and I just knew that, you know, there are days where it's like, okay, well, you know, I can get tired and wake up and still feel excited about real estate, but the excitement I felt about cooking and just, you know, being in that whole song and dance of, you know, um, the restaurant industry just ignited something much bigger inside of me than real estate did. So then I decided, I was like, well, you know, if I was 15 years younger, I would attach myself, you know, to a restaurant group and work my way from the bottom up and just really do a deep dive into learning but because it was you know essentially a career change so much later on in life i didn't have that luxury of time to be like okay i'm going to start you know from here and when you think about finances there's no way that i can continue supporting my family you know my mom back home and then also myself living on 1175 right yeah. an hour so then it was either I go back home and continue my life, you know, as a real estate broker, um, or I stay here and start a business, because at least I know that whatever I put into that business, um, I can have control and visibility over. At least that's what I initially thought pre-pandemic, right? And so then I was like, you know, I'm going to stay and open a restaurant. Uh, I mean, there was so many amazing concepts that were. You know, that were taking off, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed my experiences with them and were very inspired by all the operators and all the chefs and the talent that I came across. But though their food was really good in its own way, it just still didn't feel like home, you know. And I'm sure, you know, you've traveled a lot, you know, between West Coast and East Coast and everywhere else in between. Um, but then um, the flavors, are just not the same. You know, West Coast Vietnamese food is very different from East Coast Vietnamese food. And though we've come leaps and bounds and continue to do so, there's just like this this element that's missing. And I'm not saying I'm the person that's going to bring it. I'm just saying that, you know, I grew up eating a little bit differently and, and, you know, people may not agree with the things that I'm doing and I'm cooking, but at least I'm giving myself and the world an opportunity to experience, you know, me as a cook and the flavors that I grew up eating in the 80s, the 90s, or, you know, and even, you know, current time, right? So, um, what, yeah, that's what is how the,
1: it came about. What is the difference between East Coast and West Coast Vietnamese food? What are some of the major differences?
2: I think it's a lot sweeter.
0: Well, you know what? Ashley, the very first thought that comes to mind, and it's still like an ongoing gripe. I don't understand the spring roll and the summer roll thing here on the East Coast. You know, when you think about Goykuong, I'm like, okay, that's a spring roll, right? And you come here and like, no, that's a summer roll. But then, and there's some restaurants you go to and they're like, well, that's an autumn roll. Like, so do you guys just name your food based on seasons?
1: <laughs> <laughs> but but that goes on out here too. That there are people out here that call it a summer roll as well. But I've, I'm sorry. There's people out in the West Coast that call a go a summer roll too.
0: Yeah, like, and, then, I don't and then it's just like, okay, well then it's like, oh, this is a fried spring roll. And like it's a jet A jet it's a jet not like, you know, right. you, it's the terminology gets very convoluted um you know obviously it has nothing to do with you know the, the taste and flavor profile but i just always thought that it, it was, was always a point of contention in conversations i would have with with east coast natives Where like no that's definitely a summer roll that's not a spring roll I
1: wonder where that comes from the etymology yeah. of all this that's an interesting point and where where the hell did summer roll come? where did spring roll come from you know yeah I I, we should start there like where did like, why? How do you go from goi guong, which is a, essentially a salad roll, right? Goi is like salad, uh, and guong is roll. And how do you get spring roll out of that? Right. <laughs> and then how do you go from spring to summer roll? Like who? And then,
0: to... and then from spring, you know, you get it. You get into autumn, right? So yeah, I've never that, heard of autumn
1: that's... roll. That's a first for <laughs> me. <laughs>
0: but i mean yeah so that's 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 the first thing that always comes to mind when i think about that and then when it comes to flavor i feel that it's a lot sweeter here um it's a lot sweeter here i and and i and i from from my understanding and and i could be like you know terribly wrong but here in new york there used to be a very a much larger vietnamese community than you know than um than there was currently now but i think the cost of living was just like so so high then People would move to Virginia, to Philadelphia, to the, you know, the Carolinas, um, to D.C. And I think that the majority um, of the Vietnamese community that was here, they're Tiêu Chau, right? Mm. The Chau Vietnamese. And mm. with Tiêu Chau, the, the style and the, the flavor profile kind of lends on like the sweeter note. When you think about them when they make their soups um and then when you have a teacher person making fa i feel like there's a stronger note of cinnamon and there's you know the cardamom you know carmen is, is 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 more prevalent and essentially changes the um i guess you know, just i guess the flavor of the soups right the yeah. base is more is, it is it's sweeter the-
1: Accentuates yeah. the sweeter, uh, it, and card- yeah, cardamom makes it a little bit right. feel sweeter.
0: And then, I mean, the I think the, the the foundation of Vietnamese cooking is our herbs and our vegetables, right. which there is a um, a huge lack of here in New York.
1: Yeah, yeah. You
0: know, obviously due to climate. You know, you go to California, uh, even you know from. Where I'm at in Seattle, you go to the supermarket, you get a larger variety of greens and herbs. And I think that that really um, brings out, you know, certain flavors and really captures the essence of our cooking, especially supporting like the sauces and everything. Whereas here in New York, you do have access to all these things, but they're not as fresh. Right. Um, Their shelf life isn't as long, right? So then, there's a huge compromise in flavor, and sometimes certain dishes go without, and that's just the way that it has to go. Like you know, rather than having to serve um, herbs that aren't aren't so great in quality.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a thing that we really enjoy in the West Coast is the the quality of herbs that we have out here. It's uh, I you know, my opinion it's you know, the, the food on the West Coast is almost better. And these are fighting words for some people, better than even in Vietnam. The quality of, of the produce that we have, the quality of the meats that we have, access to all of the, the ingredients is, to me, it's superior to anywhere else in the world.
0: I, I would have to agree. I think that when you look at it from all different points, you know, from irrigation systems to access, yeah. you know, to to all of that, it's, it's definitely... Um, the The quality control is a lot more consistent, right, um, and I think that, um, you know, yeah, like I'm a West Coast girl through and through, and my, I think my heart will always be sided with, you know, the West Coast Vietnamese, you know, culinary um, offering, even though, you know, now that I'm, I'm, you know, pretty much very rooted here in New York, but they're, like, I mean, for one, I, I, I barely cook the food that I eat. Um, I mean, obviously I'm a part of like the whole tasting and, you know, I'll, 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 I'll taste and I'll, I'll eat it throughout, you know, the day just to make sure that, you know, these are the, like, you know, the, 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 the profiles that I I want to, to share and showcase. But when it comes to truly eating, it's, um, there hasn't really been a place where it's like, okay, you know, this really tastes like home. And this is where I would like, you know, to frequent every single day, or at least, you know, majority of the week, um, just because nothing truly compares to West coast cooking. (laughs)
1: You know, what uh, What inspired you to name the restaurant Saigon Social?
0: You know, when I was thinking of a name for my pop-up and then, you know, I was like, okay, well, you know, if I'm going to do a pop-up and obviously a restaurant, you know, might might be like, you know, in, in the works, um, I was like, I really wanted to incorporate Saigon in it because I think about when you're in New York, it's very similar to Saigon where right. It's a melting pot of um of cultures, of of dining experiences where it's essentially a city and the annex of all of these derivatives, right? So then to me it's like, okay, I, I wanna add Saigon into it, but what you know, Saigon what? You know, and um I remember I was on a trip. I think I actually was in Taipei. Was it Taipei or Hong Kong with a group of friends? And I was just reading different articles on my phone in in, in an Uber ride um, from from you know one restaurant to another. And I think I was looking at property and um, just essentially talking to myself. And I don't know where the the word social came up. And then I was like, social. It's like on social. I actually really like the way that it sounds. And you know, for me. I, you know, I was like, I, I'm a very social person, you know, back home. And, and, you know, essentially that's what I've been doing here as I'm learning how people eat in New York, as I'm learning how businesses are run. And as I'm learning how to just um, transition into living and adapting to like the lifestyle and I guess the culture, of you will, here in New York, um, it's forced me to be even more social than ever. And when you think about social gatherings, you know, it's usually around a meal. And then I just kept on repeating it over and over, and I was like, I think Saigon Social is going to be the name for my pop-up. Um, and then after two like plus years of kind of running it, I was like, I, I don't want to change it. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to carry it over to the restaurant because it just sound sound very fitting, and it just it just felt right.
1: Yeah, I, I love that word, uh, social, in conjunction with the how you're using it with Saigon. It reminds me of uh, the Buena Vista Social Club, which, you know, Buena Vista Social Club is a, is a group, a music group. Uh, and, you know, social and music are sort of like food and social, right? It's like part of what we do when we connect with other human beings is, you know, we're in the space, whether we're listening to music live like the Buena Vista Social Club or at Saigon Social, it, it 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 involves people. It involves a society. And it's such a beautiful pairing.
0: Yeah, and, and I always tell my team this. I was like, you know, yes, we are in every sense of the word a restaurant. But to me, I don't see it as just a restaurant. It goes far beyond that. I think that... Um, going back to what your original question was of like, did I did I know what my vision was? I didn't know what my vision was. Um, you know, when I was in culinary school, I didn't know what it was, even when I was, you know, building the restaurant and, you know, getting ready for the, you know, the opening. And what I thought I knew, I think completely unraveled during the pandemic. And um, I remember just talking to people and they're like, well, you know, if you were to explain to someone that doesn't know you, that doesn't know Vietnamese food, that doesn't know anything at all, what would you say the concept of your restaurant is? What is What does it really mean to you? And what is it that you're trying to share, you know, with the world? And I think that it's something that I struggled with immensely just because what I thought I knew, I learned that I didn't really know at all. Um, and I think starting with food, when I hosted these weekly pop-ups my menu was ever changing there was nothing that was a repeat and and essentially it was just you know kind of like the perfect scenario for my add right (laughs) as I go today I'm going to make this and then that just because I wanted you know to test recipes just to test flavors and see how people um would receive it right so that it would um enable me to make decisions um for the future and I think that Um, I was so headstrong on just trying to capture the true essence and the traditional form of cooking and only offering traditional foods Um, and holding back on things that I truly love and enjoy just because I thought that in order to be very traditional and authentic, I needed to cook things the way that they're presented and as close to flavors in Vietnam as possible, because I wanted to really appease and to make you know my culture and my people proud um, of the things that I'm able to to showcase and accomplish and share um, in the culinary world. And um, I think that that really hindered. Um, my ability to really create just because i was limiting myself into this box that i thought was the right thing to do right and throughout the pandemic you know we all go through these revelations right and i just remember that during my pop-up whenever i would see a Vietnamese client specifically, and you know, like an elder, you know, auntie or grandma that would come and eat, I would feel so excited just because wow, it's like these are the people that I want to cook for, that I want to to showcase my food for, and you know, essentially their family members. But I was met with a lot of criticism. Oh, wow. And I would lose so much sleep over it. I mean, the very first criticism would be obviously the pricing. Um but beyond that it's like okay well if you take price out of the factor like let's talk about the things that really matter in terms of flavor right because pricing you can adjust flavors styles and you know what you're trying to share and present Mm -hmm. is something that yes essentially can be adjusted but is it true to what you want it like what you really want to do and I like like I said I lost you know I lost sleep over it I would think you know and be so sad when people would, you know, provide feedback and be like, this is not how, you know, it's supposed to be. And this is not how you're supposed to do it. And when you have, you know, this community that you're, you're struggling to connect with to, to make proud and you're, you're, you're seeing that you're met with like so much, you know, criticism, it makes you really realize, you know, like, or, or really like think, is this truly what you want? And so I would ask myself that question. I was like, what's going on here? And I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure it out. And then I just realized that, you know, I've been been trying so hard to extract just, you know, this, this person that I'm not. Because the reality of it is I was not born in Vietnam. You know, my experiences were from these annual trips that I would take with family, with social gatherings and different, you know, organizations that I've grown to be a part of here in the States, you know. So... I'm not Vietnamese. I'm Vietnamese American. And I think that realizing that, accepting that, and really understanding what that means, because it's like, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a product of both cultures, not just one. And that it's okay to make adaptations and changes, um, from what I knew growing up as a child, living in California, then Houston and, you know, then Seattle and, and, um, carrying those experiences and those flavors, um, from my, from my upbringing into the way that I cook, um, is something that I really needed to dial in and focus on, not trying to be like that stall on that street corner, you know, in Hanoi or in Gwinyang, because that's a completely different, you know, outreach, right? I mean, for one, that's not who I grew up being, you know, it's not you know, I, I I didn't have access to those exact ingredients, right? So, of course, my style of cooking and my flavors are going to be different because, um, you know, it's just you're in completely different climates and completely different countries, right, for one. And then also for two is just that um, I didn't quite understand that value, you know, or my value as, as a person as to what um, – what and who I really wanted to be. And I think that um, that truly showed. Um, and, and I realized that I think mid pandemic where I was just like, you know, why am I trying so hard to be someone that I'm not, I should, you know, focus my time and energy and really dial into what truly makes me happy. And, you know, if I want to throw butter in my steak, I'm good. I should throw butter in my steak and cook it the way that I, that I know how to eat, that I really enjoy to eat, that I really love to eat, that I know, you know, people would truly love and enjoy because that's kind of like my style. And, and that's just, you know, the flavor profiles that I'm comfortable with. So then it came back to just looking at my menus, you know, um, and the things that I've, I've created in the past and just sitting down and re-engineering it. And like, okay, well, I've done this because this is what I knew and I was taught. But am I okay with that? Or is there a different element that I want to change to make it something that I would truly enjoy and be proud of? Because this is now a byproduct of Helen, right? Not what the community wants and not what people think, you know, that they want. So then Mm -hmm. with that came a lot of empowerment, you know, and it's like, then when it came back to just doing R&D and cooking in the kitchen, it completely changed my energy, my perspective, right? Um, and then I was like, "Wow, I'm feeling I'm I'm come I'm cooking from a very good place. Yeah, I'm truly cooking from the heart and not holding back because I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a, a burger, and I'm going to stay true to my Vietnamese wow. you know roots and be able to make that connection um, in terms of flavor." But then I grew up eating a lot of burgers, so I'm going to put a burger on the menu. And yes, it's not traditional, but it's, you know, and some people are like, well, it's not really authentic, but then it's like authentic to who Mm
2: -hmm. were you
0: in the same household as me growing up in the 80s? You weren't. So you can't say that that's not authentic because it was very authentic to who I was right and who I am. So then, um, then then it was just like, okay, well, now that I have that identity, And I have, you know, I'm I'm moving forward with a lot more confidence and understanding what it is that I want to share. It completely changed everything for me. And then it was just like, okay, if you were to ask me what Saigon Social is, I can confidently tell you that it's, you know, a modern Vietnamese restaurant. And when I say modern, I'm not saying that, you know, we're using, you know, all these um, intricate, you know, cooking techniques. Some things are like, you know, yes, you know, the professional, you know, you know, techniques that I've learned, but at its core, we're very approachable it's it's very comforting and when i say modern it's kind of making that distinction that it's obviously not going to be your grandma's cooking it's not your mom's cooking because i'm neither of those people (laughs) you know modern as in the flavors are still there at its core but it's transformed into something different um which is an extension of who i am as a person and um when you know we still have a lot of conversations with with um clients that are just like no, this is not it. And I you know, I find it very empowering to say, "Yeah, you're absolutely right with what you know what your thoughts and your opinions are, But I'm telling you that this is what my intention for it is, and you don't have to agree. And if it's something you know it's something else that you want like to look for, just let me know what it is, And I'll be more than happy to recommend ten other offer you know, like restaurants that will offer the experience and the flavor profiles and maybe even the pricing that you, you want, you know, to achieve. But if you come in here and if you ask me a question, then I'll tell you what the intention and and the soul and the core of every dish and every experience is supposed to be. And you have every right to agree or disagree with it. But understand that as a team, everyone here knows what we're trying to achieve from the experience to, you know, to, to the flavors and every day you know it's not going to be perfect but we come in giving it our best every day to procure that experience and you have to be okay with people not agreeing with you and just knowing that whatever percentage of people that do agree with you and that do enjoy that's where you have to put your focus and your attention on because essentially that's you know what matters right
1: listening to you speak in the last few minutes reminds me of sort of like the artist journey where you start out and you do your paintings and you're kind of just going with things and then you suddenly you find your voice and you get empowered by the vision and the and the feel and the 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 ideas that you want to express and then at some point the critique or anything like that just goes out the window and you just embrace your own specific way of doing things and to get to that takes years to arrive in that journey right
0: yeah, I mean, I think you know it's 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 different for everybody. Sometimes, you know people are very lucky and they get it within seconds, within minutes if their their brain is wired that way, yeah. right If they're able to make that connection, and that's really great. But for others, it may take months, years, decades, and it doesn't really matter at what age or what stage in your life. the you know, all I think it's all that I think that truly matters is that you have that awareness and that you continue to do the things that 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 make you feel alive do the things that make your heart sing do the things that that you're passionate about and as cliche as it sounds it's truly in the in the journey not really like the yeah. destination or the outcome because i think within that process you you may not you may think that this is one thing that you want but you learn through you know the the ups and downs and, you know, the adversities that, you know, that sometimes you're rewarded with experiences that you didn't think you needed, right? Um, with uh, relationships that you didn't think that, you know, you, that would come of it. So I think it truly is, it's like, so long as you're aware of it, don't worry about when it's going to happen, right. just truly be present and make sure that you're being true to what your intentions and what, yeah, your your goals are that you're setting for yourself and you know that could be a day it could be a year it could be 10 years like whatever it is I think oftentimes we get so caught up on the end goal that we forget that it's truly the experiences and everything in between that matters a lot more that carries so much weight and value um than just getting there itself
2: right
1: You know, I have, (laughs) this is always a dilemma for me. I have, you know, 20, 30 questions always prepared from, (laughs) you know, your experience with, uh, you know, Daniel. And, you know, we we didn't even get a chance to get into that complex sort of training that you went through. Uh, This idea of, you know, the tenacity of going through the pandemic, because I know you've told me stories about how difficult it was. You know, there's so many uh, things, but today i think the most important thing for me is getting a sense of who you are as helen from saigon social because it gives me and the audience a glimpse of the artists and the artistry behind the food that comes out of your kitchen and sort of like the even the way you've socially constructed the way the experience is for the for the customers that come in to eat. And so getting a, a a a real intimate view of who you are, Trump's all of the other questions about training and how you got, to, you know, to to your journey, just to get to hear the artists <clears throat> explain who they are is is so valuable to me.
0: Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I, I really appreciate all of that. I always joke, but you know, there's some truth that you have to be crazy to be in this industry. Yeah, for
2: sure. You know, I, I think
0: that you know, I'm I'm learning so much about myself. I think that you know, yes, from the outside looking in, it's a lot of food and it's a lot of cooking and it's a lot of socializing. But it's become a lot more personal project and journey for me. And in, in that, it's like yes, I love doing all these things, but the most rewarding experience for me has been truly um learning and having that 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 really intimate um intimate dialogue with myself as to you know who I'm being like what my past and like how did I get here and what do I see for myself in the future versus just you know the things that are that are I guess materialistic or, or that's tangible like all those things yes you know like sometimes you know, like they're they're very valuable but I think that what's more important is just the internal right Uh, at least for me yeah um when it comes to like you know like talking about um careers and and you know your space and your voice and food or whatever industry that you're in
1: you know i want to end with uh talking about every wednesday you have a your kitchen is doing um meals for for older people in your community right Can you tell me a little bit about that and what has really allowed you to keep going um, with that service?
0: Yeah, So, I mean, as you know, we were supposed to open March 13th, 2020. Um, That didn't happen. And the restaurant at its core became a commissary slash community kitchen. Um, I met. Some amazing friends um, at the very beginning of, of the pandemic. And we were working with a few different nonprofits that were creating meals for frontline healthcare workers. Um, we, you know, started off with like maybe 50 meals a day, 30 meals a day, onward to like 500 meals a day. And we, um, I, I met Moon and Yin, who are the, the founders of Heart of Dinner, a nonprofit that, um, that has been working tirelessly to provide um, meals to homebound elders. Um, both, you know, singular residents as well as community, like uh, s- senior communities. And I remember they had uh, had this conversation with me, like, you know, there's a lot going on right now and we want to be able to contribute and to be a part of this, but we don't know where to start. And it seems that frontline healthcare workers are getting an abundance of support. What can we do in our background, in our community and who really needs the help or who could really use like that boost. And they're like, well, we really want to help. Um, they 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 were noticed that, you know, like, well, even before the pandemic, there was like this, this, this rise on, you know, an, you know, like anti-Asian, like all these hate crimes. And it was really sad to, to walk around Chinatown and see the, the, the business just plummet. And majority of the people that do live in Chinatown are the elders. And as bu- business continued to shutter, they didn't really have a place to shop, a place to eat. So then Moon and Yin asked if I would be willing to just make 50, 60 meals, you know, and they were going to distribute it to um, a small community. And from that moment on, we were just like, yeah, okay, let's do this together. It became a much larger operation, um, you know, involving a lot more restaurant partners. And now fast forward, we're on year three. It still continues to be something that's part of our operation, even though we're you know a full blown restaurant now. But I think that you know it's important to make money, but it's also important to to take care of your elders to to give back and to really stay grounded, not just for myself, because I mean, before it used to be just me making these meals every Wednesday um, and, and, and and just essentially sleeping here, right? But now it's become an operation where my team gets to be a part of the cooking, the prepping, um, the delivering of the meals. And so it's just like, yeah, okay, yes, we're a restaurant, but also understand that we're a part of a greater purpose, a a part of a greater community. And regardless of like how busy or, or what happens, you know, inside or outside of work. It's important to have that responsibility, you know, not just to your community, but to your elders. And, you know, like like you know, you you were able to experience and 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 cook meals and contribute. And when you look at the the videos and the photos, or you know, just when we listen listen to voice message that the elders leave, it's incredibly touching, and it really grounds you and really makes you think like what the whole purpose of it is. Yeah. And, and if, if you can't take care of the people that have taken care of you, then it's like, what are you doing?
2: Yeah. Right.
0: What's the purpose of it? And um, yeah, it's, it's still something that we continue to do every Wednesday and we hope that we can continue, you know, to do it for as long as, you know, the the organization and the, the needs are there. And um, it's just really beautiful. And I mean, once a month we're, we're, we host them in here um, inside the restaurant so that they can have a very, Fun and dignified dining experience, um, and be able to order from a menu, and just that interaction and seeing them being able to, like you know, gather, uh, you know, in a in a social setting that's outside of their you know senior community. You can't you can't put a dollar sign to that at all. You cannot. Yeah. And you know, for most of them, it's towards the end of their life, right? And I think you know they're very routine in their in in their lifestyles and the things that they do and I, and to be able to bridge that gap between like the younger generation and even though we don't speak the same language food is so universal that it truly connects everyone that's involved and I think that it's very important to kind of to carry that on right and in, in whatever that we do um, and it gives you know I think a lot of Um, insight to our team members who are like oh before well you kind of disappear and we don't really know what you're doing but now that they're part of the operation and they get to interact and see the seniors that come in I think that okay maybe your car broke down on the way to work or something happened but you're experiencing this and are your problems really as big as you kind of magnify them to be or you know think of them to be or is you know when you think about people that truly are food insecure that are going through true challenges and troubles in their life versus, you know, the mundane things that we complain about on a day-to-day that don't really, that aren't really problems at all. Right. So I I think that, you know, it's, it's a very important life lesson. Um, and, and also just, you know, like a feel good experience all around.
1: Yeah. And it was definitely a feel good experience for me and bow and win. Thank you so much, Helen, for spending. I know what is a very busy morning for you, a busy day. It seems like every day. And uh, thank you. I appreciate your time.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me, Kenneth.
1: (laughs) Of course, of course. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trinh. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at the Vietnamese podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts